week I was away on vacation and it only takes me about one Sunday uh, to start missing you guys and whenever I'm gone and whenever I come back I'm always pleased and happy uh, happy to be back I, I never want to miss anything that's why I want to be in church every Sunday I never want to miss anything I never want to I never want to miss what God is doing I'm very thankful for uh, Lee Bailey, my friend and executive pastor, for filling in for me this past week, and also for those who filled in for me on Wednesday nights, uh, the past two Wednesday nights while, uh, while I was gone, and uh, I uh, appreciate them very much. You know, I have a lot of pastor friends who don't really have people, staff members and others, that can fill the pulpit for them whenever they are gone. And uh, I made the statement to someone, I can't even remember who it was, that at Stephen Street, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a very deep bench. Uh, we have a lot of people, uh, both on staff and not on staff, that are just waiting and eager uh, to fill the pulpit. Uh, we have both uh, seasoned pastors on our staff that are extremely capable of preaching the Word, and uh, those that are up-and-coming preachers uh, that are, are just chomping at the bit. And so I know that whether I am here and someone fills the pulpit or whether I'm away and someone fills the pulpit, I'm always confident that there is a continuity of worship that is maintained. And so I appreciate that being the case with uh, Lee Bailey last week as he filled in for me. And I am very much looking forward to today as we move into Romans chapter 8. I would say that if there is any spot in the book of Romans that I have been looking forward to, it would, it would be Romans chapter 8 and following, the, the verses that come immediately in chapter 8 and several other chapters throughout the book of Romans. I have very much been looking forward to this, especially since we're talking about this, uh, this concept of being sanctified. And today, I want to talk to you about what it means to be sanctified by the Spirit. I gave you a definition of sanctification several weeks ago, and I just give it to you again just as a reminder uh, because sanctification, that word, is probably not used a lot in our vocabulary. But whenever I use it, and whenever we see it in Scripture being used, we're speaking about this progressive experience of holiness where we become more like Jesus. If you're a believer, this is what you want. If you know Jesus as Savior, this is what you want. And it's what God wants for you. And it is what God is doing in your life. When I think about the ways that God has, uh, has worked in my life over the years, I think about the pain and sadness that I've experienced and how God has used it to mold me and shape me into His image. I think about the blessings that God has given to me and how He's used it to mold me and shape me into His image. Now, we never fully arrive in this life, but God is using all the things in your life, good and bad, to bring you to a point of holiness. You know, that this is what Jesus prayed for you. Right before he went to the cross, right before he was arrested, right before he sacrificed himself and atoned for your sin, he prayed in John chapter 17, he said, Lord, sanctify them. And if you're like me, then your life probably matches this cycle of sanctification that I spoke about uh, a couple of weeks ago. This cycle in which we attend church, we read the Bible, we study God's Word, we learn about who He is. We have this illumination from God's law. 
we have this, this light bulb that goes off uh, in our life whenever we study who God is and we say, yes, I want to be that. I'm born again. I know Jesus. And I look into his law. I look into the word of the Lord. And yes, I want to be like that. And in that moment, something happens. This inner struggle with our sinful nature crops up. And there's this battle that happens. And a lot of Christians feel guilty about their struggles. A lot of Christians condemn themselves. We're going to talk about that today. They feel condemned because they struggle with sin. And I hope that if you were here two weeks ago, that you heard me uh, say from God's Word that this is a normal course of your Christian life, to struggle with sin. You're not odd. You're not different than all the other people out there that are Christians that you think are perfect. It's a normal thing for you to struggle with sin. But where we want to be is we want to have Victory through the Spirit. And that's the cycle we see. The light bulb goes off. We see who God wants us to be by studying His Word and looking into His law. We have this struggle, this wrestling with sin. And then on the other side of that struggle, eventually, is victory. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. This last point, victory through the Spirit. In fact, we're going to spend a lot of the time talking about this. I'm going to slow down a little bit as we start making our way through Romans chapter 8. In fact, I'm going to spend five weeks. You're going to hear five different sermons as I move through Romans chapter 8, all of them geared towards victory that we have over sin, that we should experience a lot. This cycle doesn't just happen one time. All the victory that we experience in Christ is to be ours through the Spirit. God is leading your life towards victory. He's leading your life towards ultimate victory whenever Jesus comes back and we're raised from the dead and we're perfect and we live in eternity with him. But we, God is also leading your life towards victory through the current sin that you struggle with. The current struggles that you have right now, the Holy Spirit is with you and is guiding you through this cycle of sanctification so you can experience victory over your sin. Let's look into Romans, Romans chapter 8 this morning. Please stand with me as we look at Romans chapter 8, and we're only going to deal with the first eight verses this morning. And I want you to notice how the tone of the book of Romans changes as soon as we hit Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Most everything that we have seen prior to that has, uh, ha has been a little bit different. But now the Holy Spirit of God and victory through Him is mentioned right away in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That one verse right there is fantastic news. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And look how he did it. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things 
Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Father, today... I pray that you would encourage your people today. And Lord, as they experience these ongoing inner struggles with their sin, I pray, Lord, that you would show them that they have been given victory in Christ and that your spirit is leading them towards victory in Christ. I pray, Lord, that maybe even today that you might help them to experience that feeling of victory, knowing that your spirit is with them today. Comfort your people, encourage them today through your word and through the preaching and through the proclamation of your word. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God does not leave us alone to live the life of believers all by ourselves. Not only has he formed us together in churches so that we can encourage one another, he's, he's put us together as in communities of believers so that we can help each other and encourage one. Not, not only has he done that, but God has given us the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of us and to indwell us. I mean, Jesus gave us an incredible, incredible calling. He told us that we're to, we're to carry a cross. Jesus gave us this command of, of self-denial. He tells us that we're to be holy. To, he, in fact, he tells us to be perfect just as God is perfect. Following Jesus is hard. It's a narrow road that is full of sacrifice. Jesus knew how difficult it'd be. No, no, Jesus knew that it would be impossible for us to live up to his commands and follow his commands and walk in holiness and walk in sanctification. He knew it would be absolutely impossible. So he said to his disciples and to us through his word, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you by yourself to just try to figure it all out on your own. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have trouble figuring stuff out. And God has given us the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, to indwell us and to live inside of us. I love the, the Trinitarian nature of these verses that speaks to us about God the Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about it. We are talking about He. We are talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that lives and indwells inside of you. He literally, physically indwells you and lives inside of you and his sole purpose his primary purpose is to help you to be the person that God wants you to be his primary purpose is for you to experience and to live the abundant life that Jesus lived for you to walk in righteousness just like Jesus walked in righteousness and to be a spiritual person is to be acquainted with the Holy Spirit we speak a lot about God. We speak a lot about Jesus. We talk about God the Father and God the Son a lot. 
But if we want to be spiritual people, we must know and understand and be acquainted with God, the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is why in Romans chapter 8, as the Apostle Paul unfolds his beautiful, in-depth explanation of what it means to be saved and sanctified, that he gives us all of this teaching about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the grand theme of Romans chapter 8 that we're going to be looking at and moving through over the, over the next five weeks. And the context, and this is important, the context in, in which we see the Spirit of God taught is not so much about spiritual gifts. We talk about that a lot as Christians, how the Holy Spirit gives us certain gifts and how the Holy Spirit empowers us to do certain things. But the context of this chapter is the role of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification, the role of the Holy Spirit in leading us to be and helping us to be godly. There is no sanctification apart from the Holy Spirit of God. It just can't happen. You will never be holy, you will never be godly without the work of the Spirit in your life. His presence, His power helping you, uh, if you don't have that, then you will fail. No amount of church attendance, no amount of efforts to religiously educate yourself, no amount of efforts to be moral is going to help you unless you have a relationship with God the Spirit. You must have His empowerment and learning to recognize and discern when the Spirit of God is at work in you and when the Spirit of God is talking to you, speaking to you, guiding you is necessary in your spiritual development and in your spiritual maturity. And so really today, all I want to do in these first eight verses is I want to point out Three simple activities of the Spirit that we see in these first eight verses. Now, there are many things that we could talk about, what the Spirit does and how He works in our life and how He operates in our life. There are many things that we could point out from these verses and many other verses. There are lots of other passages that we could go to that talk about what the Spirit does and how He speaks to us and leads us and guides us and empowers us. But I really just want to point out three that I hope that will be a blessing to you today. I hope that they will encourage you today. And the first one for me personally is such an incredible encouragement. The Spirit frees us from condemnation. I love this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the first of 28 references, or is it 25? 25, 28 references to the Holy Spirit in the whole chapter of Romans chapter 8. Condemnation is an extremely negative term. You know, we often talk about what it means to be judgmental, like, you know, being judgmental towards each other. To be judgmental is one thing. Condemnation, condemnation is even worse than that. Condemnation has to do with punishment. 
Whereas judgment might have to do with a verdict. Judgment might say you're guilty. That would be, that would be a judgment that would be passed out, uh, guilty or not guilty, and let's just assume the negative. Guilty would be the judgment. Condemnation is the sentencing that follows the guilty verdict, the sentencing. Because you, because you are judged, because you are guilty, now you must experience life in prison or 20 years in prison or whatever it might be. In the case of Scripture, eternity in hell. That would be condemnation. And the language of condemnation in the Bible is extremely strong. The language of condemnation involves words like hell and death and uh, an eternal penalty, and, and things like that. There's a, there's a curse that is on the soul of every human being that has ever been born. We see this in Romans chapter 5, by Sunday night, if you, if you want to come back for that. But if the point is, condemnation is what we all deserve. The work of the Spirit in your life removes that condemnation and removes that guilt from you. Jesus died on a cross so that not just so that we wouldn't be guilty, but so that we also would not experience the penalty. The guilt is removed and the penalty is removed. The condemnation is removed. This is part of the work of the Spirit in your life. And this is important to point out because this is, in, is consistent with the work of the Spirit in convicting us over sin. A lot of the times, that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit will give us a weight or a burden that we have upon us. And I talk about this a lot, usually towards the end of a message, whenever I give an invitation and, and, and call people to a response. And we talk about how the conviction of the Holy Spirit is like a, it's like a burden that we feel, like a weight that we feel over our sin. And if we're not careful, that might lead us to believe, well, the work of the Spirit is to make us feel condemned. No, there's a difference between feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and feeling condemnation and experiencing condemnation. The Spirit of God does not condemn us. The Spirit convicts us, shows us the weight of our sin for the purpose of removing it. Almost like a doctor. If you go to a doctor and a doctor gives you bad news about your health and you feel that burden over that bad news. Well, the goal of the doctor is not to hurt you, not to harm you, not to make you feel worse than what precipitated you from coming to the doctor in the first place. It's a diagnosis so that you might receive treatment from that doctor. And that's what the Holy Spirit of God does to us. The Holy Spirit of God shows us our, our spiritual maladies that He wants to purify us from and to remove from us. And so the removal of this condemnation that the Spirit does for us, it really happens in two ways. First, it's a removal of condemnation uh, the, day that we get, the day that we get saved. I want you to remember and think about what happened in your life the day you got saved. I talked to my, I talked to my son last night. And I had him share his testimony with me. I can't say this in the second service. He's in the second service. And uh, he was sharing with me. I said, well, what was it like whenever you, whenever you called on Jesus? And he just said, oh, just, you know, feeling of peace, like a weight was lifted off. You know, he's just describing just what the Holy Spirit does inside of us whenever we get saved. I remember when it happened to me. And I know that people are scared to talk about 
feelings when it comes to getting saved, and I, I'm just not. I think feelings are I think feelings are a good thing as long as those feelings are grounded in truth. And I just remember being overcome with peace and overcome with joy and the condemnation and the guilt that was all over me for the first 18 years of my life just removed from me. You probably remember, you probably remember when that happened in your life. If you know Jesus as Savior, hopefully you remember a time when the Lord just, He removed that guilt, He removed that condemnation, and you felt free. You felt peace. You felt joy. All those things that, that you had done in the past, and, and you recognized your need for Christ, and you called upon His name, and He gave you that sense of joy and peace, and He, he showed His love to you. That condemnation was removed. Now, here's a lot of times what happens with Christians, is that condemnation comes back. But it doesn't come back because the Spirit of God is bringing it back. It's not like God is saying, hey, you better be careful, or I'm going to throw that guilt and penalty back on you. That's not what our God does. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit, and the second way that we see that He removes this condemnation, it's like this ongoing reminder to us that our condemnation has been removed. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder from time to time. Sometimes I carry around guilt or sometimes I, I, I have feelings about myself that are not grounded in what God says about me. Do you know how easy it is to believe lies about yourself? Well, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he comes within your life, and he reminds you that, listen, your sin is forgiven. Your guilt is gone. There is no more condemnation for you. That's part of what the Holy Spirit of God does for you. In your darkest moment, in this cycle of sanctification where you have illumination from God, where you begin to struggle with your sinful nature, in your darkest moment, when you feel the worst about yourself spiritually, the Holy Spirit wants to give you victory over those feelings of condemnation that are imposed upon you by self or that are imposed upon you by others. Sometimes other people want you know, sometimes other people want you to feel bad. Why do we do this to each other? Why do we want people to feel bad? Why do we, why do we want people to feel condemned? Why do we want people to feel guilty? That's not, what God, that's not what God does for us. He wants to remove those things. And you absolutely cannot live in victory in the Holy Spirit if you're constantly wallowing around in guilt and self-condemnation over things that you have done in your past. You have been forgiven for those things. And the Holy Spirit wants to remind you that that condemnation is gone and that God loves you. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He removes condemnation. Number two, the second thing that we see in these verses is that the Spirit makes us righteous. I say this a lot. I talk about this a lot, about the work of the Spirit in sanctifying, that we don't sanctify ourselves, that the Spirit does it. Well, here's some verses that talk about that. It talks about what God has done. What God has done is worthy of celebration. This is what God has done. He did something. 
that the law couldn't do and that our flesh couldn't do. In other words, all of our human effort of looking into God's requirements and trying to work and please God says God did something that in our state, in that we, we couldn't do that. He did it. We couldn't. He did it. And here's how he did it. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin. You see, the Bible says that sin has been condemned. The enemy wants you to believe that you are the one that needs to be condemned. The enemy wants you to be the one to think that you deserve to be condemned. And outside of Christ that you do. But because you have Christ, you don't anymore. The Bible says that sin has been condemned. And this is for, it was for this purpose. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us might be fulfilled in us. This is what God has done. Everything that God has done is worthy of celebration. You know, whenever we get saved, sometimes we like to think that it's all about us. Hey, look what I did. We've got to be very, very careful. This is one reason that I'm always extremely careful not to congratulate someone who gets saved and who is baptized. No, they didn't hit a home run. They didn't make an A on a test. In fact, their human effort didn't do anything to bring about their salvation other than just responding and making a choice to follow Jesus. They, they, they didn't do anything. We don't congratulate. We don't, we don't come up to people who get saved. And, and, and I'm always really, really careful to do this when it comes to children. I never tell a child, I'm so proud of you for what you did after they get baptized or they get saved. You've got to be very, very careful about using that language as if they just made the ball team because they did really, really, oh, you did really, really well. You did such a good job. No, that, that's not what salvation is. We want to say, and, and what we really mean by that is that I am so excited about what God is doing in your life. That's what we really mean whenever we say, I'm proud of you and congratulations. That's, that's what we're really trying to say is that God did something in you and I'm so excited about it. And that's, that's probably what we should say when people get saved and when people get baptized. We don't congratulate them. We don't give them a medal or a trophy. We don't pat them on the back. We don't tell them, good job. Um, we, we glorify God. We say, I'm excited for what God has done. What God has done is worthy of our celebration. And what God did was send his son, and there's two immediate results. I've already mentioned these. Number one, God God condemned sin. That's what happened when Jesus sent his son. He condemned sin. But number two, directly related to the theme of this sermon, uh, as, as a direct result of God sending his son and us receiving him as Savior, the second result is that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is one of the purposes of why Jesus died so that you and I would be godly, so that you and I would be sanctified, so that you and I, I know this scares you, but so that you and I would fulfill the requirements of the law. Now that's a little anti-intuitive, isn't it? You're like, no, wait a minute, I'm confused. I'm, I'm confused because we spent seven chapters in Romans and even two verses before this, 
talked about how the law was powerless and the law is useless in saving us. And now hold on, now you're saying that the whole purpose that Jesus died was so that we might fulfill the requirement of the law? Yes. <laughs> I know it sounds confusing, but before we get saved, the law doesn't do anything to bring about salvation. But after we get saved, the Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill the law. We pay no attention to the law in order to try to be saved. We pay much attention to the law when we see where the Spirit of God is leading our life. And remember, we can't be antinomian in nature. We can't be anti-law. God wants us to fulfill the Ten Commandments. God wants us to fulfill His command to love Him with, our, with our, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others. Our lives are to meet the requirements of the law and the glory of God. And this is the whole reason that you need God. Now think about that for a minute. Whenever you were in an unregenerate state and you wanted to be saved, you needed God to do something so that you could, so that you could be justified and saved. Do you know you still need God? You still need God in order to meet the righteous requirements of the law. You, this time, you need God the Spirit to empower you and lead you and guide you and, and help you to walk in righteousness. Jesus said this is one of the things that he would do, is that he would guide you into all truth. That he would help you to make wise choices. That he would help you to make good decisions. That he would send that alarm bell off in you. Hey, don't do that. You know, the, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And you, listen, you now have the power to live like Jesus lived. You have the power inside of you. Now, unfortunately, you also have a sinful nature, and so there are going to be times that you fail, but the Holy Spirit of God is leading you into this ever-progressive experience of holiness as you become more like Jesus. You see, what Jesus did on the cross, God declared you righteous, but because of the presence of the Spirit in your life, you were actually becoming righteous. There's a difference between those two things. When you were justified, you were declared righteous and you got saved. You were born again. Now the Holy Spirit is actively at work in your life, helping you to literally become righteous. And listen, if you know Jesus, this is happening in you. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you, this is happening in you. This cycle of sanctification, it's part of what God does. He makes us righteous. And the third thing today is the third work of the Spirit. It's very simple. The Spirit makes us, well, spiritual. That's what the Spirit does. He makes us spiritual. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, and I want you to pay very close attention to this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then for the re remainder of these verses, it talks about the mind. It talks about, um, it talks about this mentality. Now, Christian people are spiritual people, not just moral and religious people. This is important. 
We're spiritual people. We're not just moral people. We're not just, we don't just have a religious routine. I feel like a broken record. I feel like I say that all the time, but it's just true. We're, we're, we're more than just moral religious people. We're spiritual people. To be moral and to not be spiritual is to be empty. It's to be spiritually empty. To be moral and to lack spiritual vitality is not life. Not really. It's, it's, not, it's not spiritual life. Now, ultimately, being spiritual is behavioral, right? You can't say, I'm a spiritual person, and then live your life breaking all ten of the Ten Commandments all the time, right? You can't say, I'm a, I'm a well, I mean, you, you can't be spiritual from a Christian perspective, you can't, you can't, and, and that's what I mean when I say spiritual. I mean spiritual from a Christ, in a Christian way, through the Holy Spirit. You can't just live this lifestyle of sin behaviorally and say, well, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. There's something about that, something about that, that doesn't work. So be, ultimately being spiritual is behavioral, but it has to be so much more. And that's why this talk about the mind is used in this passage. And not just, and I, I think this requires some explanation. There's something mental about being spiritual, and oftentimes we call it being spiritually minded. Now listen, it's not intellectual. Please understand that. Some of you are, are, are very handicapped in that area. So we're not talking about intellectual. A few of you laughed at that. I, th I thought that was a good joke. I, I, I really did. Um, so we're not talking about being intellectual. We're talking about being meditational. Now, even that word is a little scary. We're not talking about emptying your mind, like as in transcendental meditation. We're talking about filling your mind with the truth of God and the Spirit of God controlling your mind. Uh, the psalmist put it this way, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So to be spiritual in mind is not intellectual, it's meditational and it's attitudinal. It's attitudinal. It's a it's a it's 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 a it's a it's a way it, it's relational. It's a way of relating to God and to people. To be spiritually minded is decisional. It's saying I'm going to make spiritual decisions. I'm going to make good, godly, right choices. To be spiritually minded is, is also, it's, it's visual. It's how you see the world. It's how you interpret the world around you. We have to have a spiritual view of the world, not just a carnal view of the world. So whenever the Bible talks about our mind in these verses, it's not just talking about our intellect. In fact, it really is more of what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Though it means our heart, it means our desires, it means our thoughts, it means our affections, our holy affections is what Jonathan Edwards used to call it, holy affections. It means that we have a fundamental disposition that is spiritual in nature in the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, the way we make decisions, and our attitudes that we have towards one another. And when the Spirit of God is guiding a person's life, the things of God are at the forefront of your mind. Spiritual people are spiritually minded just like Jesus was. Jesus was spiritually minded. He was kingdom minded. I mean, he had a parable for everything. 
I mean, a farmer sowing his grain. He had a spiritual principle of of a fig tree that didn't bear fruit. He had a spiritual principle. He he ever he looked at everything through a spiritual lens. And to be spiritually minded means that our minds, our thoughts are drawn to God in every circumstance. I, I think the best way to explain it would just be to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through verse 16 that says this. These things God has revealed to, has, has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things that are from the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's just not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. These are important verses to talk about how the Spirit helps us to be spiritual. And peace is a byproduct. I love that part of this verse. It says that the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This, this, this is something that I have noticed that is a major work of the Holy Spirit. That he gives us peace and calmness, even whenever things are not peace and calm. Even whenever things are in complete and absolute utter chaos and turmoil. I've noticed that the Spirit of God has a way of bringing peace to us. You see, our flesh drives us towards satisfaction, but the Spirit drives us towards peace. Let me ask you a question in response to all this. Can you see all of these things happening in your life? Can you see, can you, have you been able to see, are you currently seeing these things happen in your life? Are you being freed from condemnation? Is that happening in your life? Are you being made righteous? Are you becoming spiritual? If so, good news. You're a Christian. You're probably a Christian. More than likely you are a Christian. The Bible says you'll know you by your fruits. If you're being freed from condemnation, if you're being made righteous, If you're becoming spiritual and all of these things are happening in you in the way that the Bible says that they should happen in you, great news, you are a Christian. The Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God. And what I want you to do today in a prayer of response is I want you to pray for continued victory. I want you to pray for that. It's okay to pray for that. Pray for God to give you continued victory over these things in your life. But if these things are not happening in your life, if you're not being freed from condemnation, if you're not being made righteous, if you're not becoming spiritual, odds are you are not a believer today. And so I want you to pray a different prayer than the rest of us. I want you to pray for the Spirit to indwell you. I want you to call upon the name of Jesus.
and be saved. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's just respond in whatever way that the Lord, whichever one of those prayers fits you today. Maybe the prayer for continued victory is what you need to pray today. I want you to pray that prayer. Just pray it quietly and silently to yourself. Pray that God would continue to give you victory over that addiction that you have struggled with all of your life. Give you victory over that anger or that fear or whatever negative emotion that it is that you struggle with. That the Lord would give you victory over that blatant sin that the Lord says don't do, but you just always seem to, you just in that cycle, you fall into it. Pray for the Lord to give you victory over that. Pray for condemnation to be removed. Pray for righteousness to happen in your life. Pray that you would continue to become spiritual. Pray for victory. But if those things are not happening, I want you to pray for the Spirit to indwell you right now. I want you to call upon the name of Jesus. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of God to come live in your body. I want you to ask Him, invite Him to be your Savior and to be your Lord. Spend a few moments just praying these prayers.